Welcome back, everybody, to an episode of the JC with Podcast, part of the Off the Ball Network. This is episode 193, dedicated to two teams who, on April 29th, 1936, played in the very first pro baseball game in the country of Japan. Those teams are Nagoya and Daitokyo. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Mr. Ryan Roberts, an NFL draft analyst, as he helps us learn more about those athletes that will be drafted in this year's 2021 NFL draft to date. Ryan Roberts is still the only NFL draft analyst I have had on any of the shows or podcasts that I have hosted. Locked on Buckeyes, the J. Stevens podcast, and anything else, Ryan Roberts is my guy. From talking about Justin Fields, Tommy Togiai, Baron Browning, Pete Werner on the Ohio State side, to talking about guys like Panea Sewell, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, and guys that are more widely known around the country for how well they have played the college football, Ryan Roberts is my guy. If you're looking to get more in-depth and to know more about the Ohio State Buckeyes, especially a great comparison between Trey Lance and Justin Fields and why one is higher than the other, go check out today's episode of Locked on Buckeyes. You, it, we went in-depth, went talked about a lot of Ohio State pro- prospects. Some I have already mentioned. I'm sure you have heard about a lot of them and what they have done on the football field when they played at the Ohio State University. Come back next week, planning on having a little discussion about ways we can improve college football or what can be done to improve college football. That might be a two-part series. Um, the guest is still trying to be concrete and set a date to record that but come back next week um we will be talking about college football and ways to improve that sport let's go and take a trip to the state of new jersey to enjoy my fun conversation with mr ryan roberts as he gets us ready for the 2021 nfl draft but first check this out support for this podcast is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology de- developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners, 20% off plus free shipping. When you use promo code OTBN at manscaped.com. Once again, that is 20% off plus free shipping. When you use promo code OTBN at manscaped.com. And joining us now here on the Jay Stevens podcast, it is a gentleman that I have been teasing on Locked on Buckeyes for a while. I think I teased him on the Jay Stevens podcast last week. And things got to get pushed back as far as when we can record. But we are together. Um, if you want to get an Ohio State Center uh, conversation, Check out Locked on Buckeyes today. We went in depth about um, almost every Buckeye prospect that'll be, that can be drafted right now. But this, not Ohio State. This is about what you guys have been waiting for, Ryan Roberts, to go in depth about this year's draft class. My guy, Ryan Roberts, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. Having, having a three-month-old at the time of draft is not the most ideal for being on schedule, but I appreciate the flexibility as always, Jay. This is always fun. Absolutely, man. Um, I didn't ask you this previously, What's it like having a newborn? It's good, man. It's good. You know, it's um, a lot of trial by error, learning things a lot, you know, and uh, very frequently. But 
I mean, it's, it's the best thing ever. I, I um, it's exceeded expectations to say the least. And it's, um, it's a joy, you know, I, I had to go back to work, working um, in person. I was working virtually for a little bit. So it's been a little bit of a tough transition, but I, I wouldn't tra- change anything in the world right now. That's good to hear, man. I see your pictures um, on Twitter all the time and your family looks so happy. The smile on your face now, it's all the same one you have on in all the pictures. Like it's not fabricated. It's not fake. Um, I believe it's all real. And I'm just happy to be on this side of it. I have no kids myself. So I get to see how everybody that I talk to via podcasting and the personal friends that I see on a regular basis, how they're responding and how their life is impacted for a positive reason when a kid comes into their lives. And um, I'm sure those early days are tough. Uh, I hear the twos are tough too, man. So watch out for what you're going to get in about a year and a half from now. Yeah, no, it's um, not something I'm not looking forward to right now. She's, you know, kind of, we're getting her used to sleeping in the crib and doing all that good stuff. So She's sleeping though. I mean, she's waking up only like once at once every night right now, which is okay. fantastic. It's just, you know, it's a little tough with me going back to work. So I try to be really nice because my wife's with her all day. So I'm like, I'll, I'll be the one that wakes up at night, you know? So it's, it's a little tough. It's a little draining. It's a little tiring, but like I said, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's, it's the, it's the good things that you remember, obviously. So. Absolutely. Speaking of good things and things we'll remember, People remember the football season for how odd it was and how things were a little bit different. At the same time, I think people remember about how abnormal the time period between the end of the season and right now has been for one player getting knocked. Aside from that, we'll get to that in a second, Ryan. When you yourself look at this draft class and from the end of the season till now, if you dove in as, as you've gotten into the tape and um, gone in headfirst into all of your film study, what do you see about this year's 2021 NFL draft class? I think it's a, I think it's a good class. I really do. I've enjoyed, um, I mean, there's, you know, there's positions that are extremely strong, like wide receiver and linebacker and corner and offensive line, a lot of good football players, quarterback at the top. There is really is the trouble that this season has put on this class though, is gaining, giving players an extra year of eligibility allowed players to you know, go back to school and then to lessen the depth that we would have in this class. So I don't think it's the greatest depth class of all time. I think there's some, but when you get in the sixth and seventh rounds, like there's going to be some dart throwing at that point. There's going to be some guys that did not have draftable grades that are getting drafted just because like, Hey, maybe they had a trait. I don't think that depth is great. I think next year's class is better depth wise, but I think that it's a really good class that a lot of players had limited opportunity to take advantage of the draft season but I still think that this is a good, a good, a good year to um, to be able to reload in a lot of different positions, and I, I just think overall it's a good class. With this class being a class that had more opt-outs than normal opt-outs, and I mean before the season, your Micah Parsons, I think Gregory Russo, uh, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, you had guys that were already going to be top ten picks opting out. And I was impressed by how they looked in their pro day. I don't know how that hindered you or how you, how you view the opt-out period where before you saw guys maybe opt out during the bowl season. I don't want to play in the, the Sun Bowl or uh, the Outback Bowl, which is a bigger bowl than the Sun Bowl. I don't want to play in that bowl either. I was going to get my body ready, um, get a couple weeks away from my team to prepare for the combine. How do you view that and how did that impact your evaluation period? Well, it's so when you're in the summer, you're evaluating a player, you're watching the film, but then you're also projecting a lot because they have an extra they have a year that they have to play still. Right. For those opt out players, 
the projection is still very much in effect, even more than it might usually be because we, last time we saw Micah Parsons, he was a 19-year-old linebacker. Last time we saw Penny Soli, he was an 18- to 19-year-old offensive tackle. We haven't seen him in a year. So they weren't able to take that next step as a prospect that we necessarily wanted to see. And then from the NFL side of things, from what all indications are, there are some teams that are just going to be very hesitant on opt-outs in general. Some, some teams, I think, are not even going to have them on their board because – it's like buying a, a buying a car, right? Like you go to the lot and you want to test drive it before you before you sign the papers, right? Like you want to be able to see what you're getting. And I do applaud the guys like the Micah Parsons that you mentioned and Jamar Chases and Penny Souls that went to their pro days and were fantastic. Obviously, since their opt-out, they have been grinding at it. They have been preparing for it and they have been ready. But then there's other guys like Jalen Twyman, for instance, from Pittsburgh, and a couple opt-outs during the season, like Paris Ford from Pittsburgh as well, where they went to the pro days and they didn't seem prepared. They just, it's like, what have you been doing? Who have you been listening to? So I think that there's been a little bit of a back and forth. I think there's going to be multi-perspectives of opt-out situations. For me, the only thing that changed was, you know, my, my summer eval for those guys became my final eval. There's no film left to watch. Like he is what he is. Jamar Chase in the summer of 2020, was the same player that he is now for the 2021 NFL draft. So that's the only way it changed for me. I do think, though, the opinions from the decision makers from the NFL, some people will hold that against them, unfortunately. It is unfortunate. It is, it is a period that the fan in me, even the analyst in me, the talking head, if you want to go that route, I want to see them play. Maybe a little sure. selfishly, Ryan, but I want to see them play. And I do think it is a benefit to them to play as many games as they can Speaking of playing as many games as they can, you get a guy, we have different guys that play different levels of games. You got Trevor Lawrence took over his freshman year at quarterback, never looked back. You got Trey Lance, played one season in a game, and people are, some people didn't really count the showcase game he had because it was not a good game, not the best game, but you're not playing and you play one game and you're playing somebody that's been playing. I, I get it. It's not the best. Justin Fields, transfers, uh, started 22 games. We saw what he did. You got Zach Wilson. A lot of people are surprised. The projection is number two overall to the Jets. No one really makes that. That makes sense. Then you got a guy, Nick Jones, recruited the same year as Tua Tungavailoa, waited his turn, and then played, I thought, very well last year. And I don't know how you see it, but this quarterback situation, the quarterback conversation – I just listed off, listed off a few guys. Many people know about four of them. You may know a little bit about Zach Wilson, not a lot. And then Trey Lance, you may not have heard about, except for this podcast or a few other places, because his name is just a name, not a face with a name. With this quarterback class, what's your one through five, and why is he ordered that way? Number one is Trevor Lawrence. Like you said, it's been anointed now. I mean, he's been the golden child, you know, since he was in high school. I think he's lost like two football games in the last six years or some crazy number. So when you look at the size, athleticism, arm strength, experience, production, it hits every box. And then he's also, I mean, he just got married at 21 years old. He's a leader on and off the field during the Black Lives Matter movement, like he is organize, helping to organize rallies and being outspoken and that, like he just, he feels like a leader. He, he seems to have everything together. There's not much holes besides him being a little thin that like you can honestly like poke and be like, Bro, I oh heard man. He's like 213. 213 at the pro day, which is really odd. Um, he was getting ready to have a shoulder surgery though. So I'm questioning like how limited his 
Um, his weight program was mm-hmm. at that point. Maybe he lost a little bit of mass, which, you know, he's always been a little bit of thin. I mean, that, so it, it's a little bit of troubling. It is. And that's a part of the weakness column. But for me, it's like, that's a very, that's not even has, that doesn't have anything to do with him even playing football. You know, like that is just a, a physical thing that he can improve because he has a body. We always talk about body typing. He has a body that he could put on a substantial amount of weight. He could be 225, 230 pretty easily. So I have him number one. I actually have Trey Lance number two. Um, I know that there's going to be a debate between Trey Lance and Justin Fields because physically, stylistically, they're kind of similar players. For me, being a guy that's a independent scout, that I can gamble on upside more than an NFL team can sometimes because I'm not going to lose my job if I'm wrong, (laughs) right? I mean, to be honest with it. So I look at Trey Lance and in the right situation – I just think he could be a little better than Justin Fields. The floor might not be as high, but I think the upside is very substantial. And I think that Justin Fields is my number three. And I think that he is very similarly talented. I think there's something a little mechanical about him at times that worries me a little bit, just a little bit. But I think that in the right scheme, he could be very successful. Then I have Zach Wilson, number four who, of course, everyone's talking is going number two. I get it. I was very hesitant on it early, and then I sat down and I watched him, and I understand it. I get it. I understand why people are infatuated with it. I personally would not take him number two. I would not, obviously. But I don't blame anybody for drafting him in the top 10 to 15. Like, I get it. He has very talented arm, super quick release. The talent's there. He's an athletic kid. Like, it's fine. There are some things about his – about his um, about his personality that a little off for me. I, I, I don't know how to like quantify it as much. It's just, I'm a big guy. Like I love to just listen to interviews, listen to coaches, talk about players, listen to them talk about football. And there's just something there that bothers me a little bit. So that's just why I'm a little tiny bit hesitant on him. And then this is my big, I guess my big hot take, I guess. Right. Cause most people have just Mac Jones thrown in at five. Cause that's the assumed he's going to go in the top 10 top first round. I do not have Mac Jones as my fifth-ranked quarterback in this class. I have mm. Davis Mills from Stanford as okay. my fifth-ranked quarterback in the class because, again, I have the opportunity to bank on upside. For me, I put those guys together next to each other, and from a physical perspective, Davis Mills is just much more talented than him. So I'm looking at him and I'm saying, if Davis Mills is on Alabama, are they any worse? Aren't they better? They're probably better. So for me, getting Davis Mills in the second round is much more attractive than drafting Mac Jones in the first round. It's something that I would not personally do. I like Davis Mills. He has a limited sample size. Some people are going to be very hesitant on him, and I also get that side of everything. But if we're talking about upside, we're talking about development, we're talking about what these guys can be looking forward, I would personally take Davis Mills over Mac Jones. Interesting. I was not expecting that from you. There is a guy that people are curious to see possibly where you may think he will go with Lawrence at one, Wilson at two, I think it's going to be number three with Trey Lance, not Mac Jones. I think I've been, I, I, I've been, I, I think Lance is a better quarterback, honestly, than, than, than Mac Jones as well. Uh, even without like having all 10 quarterbacks, that's my naked eye, my limited knowledge of scouting from what you do. I just think that Trey Lance is a better, is a better quarterback. But at four, you got maybe the Falcons take Kyle Pitts. Let me see who's at five. At five. I've heard Jamar Chase. I think it should take Penea Sewell for the Bengals. That's just my pick. Um, Dolphins yeah. don't need a quarterback. Uh, Lions, okay, you got Jared Goff, but what do you do there? Eight Panthers right. just got rid of uh, Teddy Bridgewater. 
So there's a lot of different movement there. I told you, you and I have talked about what I think as far as who I think will move up into the top 10 to get Justin Fields. Um, do you see the same thing? You know what I'm thinking, so I'm not going to go ahead and say it again. Um, Patriots, yeah. I'll say Patriots moving up to top 10 to get him. I think it was a move, move anyway with the, the weird offseason for Belichick. I think you're going to see some weird moves for Belichick in the, in the draft as well, starting very, very early. Um, where do you see Fields going, and why is it a good fit for him? I think he's going to go in the top 10. I think that you, you nailed it on the head. And if you haven't checked out our episode on Locked on Buckeyes, I would say that you need to go check that out because we had a really in-depth conversation about it. And I think that stylistically, he's very similar to Cam Newton, speaking about Justin Fields. I think that it would be a very advantageous situation to be behind Cam for a year, to, or at least a few games, to sit, to learn, to see how he, how he is as a professional, what he does on a day-to-day basis, how to be a professional for himself. And I think that that would be a great option. I don't think a lot of people are talking about like, hey, do you have to trade up from 15 to four? I don't think you have to. I think that Fields is going to slide a little bit. I think that the Detroit Lions at seven, Carolina Panthers at eight, Denver Broncos at nine. I think those are all teams that could be potential trade partners. I think that that's where New England needs to go up. Denver is the only team that worries me. Like maybe they would be in the Justin Fields market, but I do think that new England makes the most sense. And then after that, you're talking about teams like the Washington football team at 19. You're talking about Chicago bears at 20. Will they be in the market? Maybe it's just from 19 and 20 up into the top 10 is a big leap. That's going to take a lot of draft capital. So I myself think that the new England Patriots are the best fit for a player like Justin Fields. From quarterback Ryan to wide receiver, I'm not really trying to get go crazy in depth with all of this stuff here. Kind of um, just going position by position, top prospects, little day two talk, little day three talk as well. When you look at wide receiver, you talk about an opt-out in Jamar Chase, but you also have uh, athletes like Jalen Waddell who got hurt. I thought he would have won, won the Heisman. If he didn't get hurt, Devonta Smith did blow up, but I still think Waddell has is the better wide receiver between those two. Then you also have Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Rondell Moore, a guy, if he doesn't get hurt, he's probably a top 10 surefire, not maybe top 10, top 15 pick, a surefire first rounder there. You've got Terrace Marshall Jr., uh, Elijah Moore, Kadarius Tony, just a lot of the names people know about. This wide receiver class, coupled with last year's, I've heard people say this is as good or better than last year's class, which is saying a lot. He saw some good early production from those young cats once they came into the NFL. This year's receiver class, what do you see? I think it's better up top. Um, I think it's close because, like, I was a big Jerry Judy guy, and C.D. Lamb was a fantastic football player. Justin Jefferson was the be- put together the best rookie season we've ever seen of a wide receiver, at least in receiving yards, 1,400 yards. So fantastic group in 2020. I think that Jamar Chase is better than any receiver in last year's class. I think Jalen Waddell is at least – I mean, the first wide receiver off the board last year was Henry Ruggs. Jalen Waddell is a better football player than Henry Ruggs, like you said it. He was the best player on that Alabama offense. He was the number one receiver on that Alabama offense, the leading receiver on that Alabama offense when he got injured. So Devo, no, no disrespect to Devonta Smith because he's the top five wide receiver in this class as well. I think he's going to be the, the third guy off the board, and I think he's fantastic as well. He has more concerns, but Rashad Bateman is another guy that I like a ton. There's guys like Terrace Marshall. There's guys like Rondale Moore, who I agree with. is a top 20 pick if there were no concerns 
of these of the um, of the injuries with him. I think that he's a very good player. You got guys like Elijah Moore that have that have asserted themselves in this in this wide receiver room. Nico Collins moving further down the board a little bit. Like there's a lot of guys. The depth for me is better than last year, and I like the top better. So for me, it's a better overall re- receiver class. I think that you can get an alpha potential player in the first round with size and speed, athleticism. And then moving into the second, third rounds, and that you're going to be see more of the archetype of smaller guys that maybe have a little more speed, maybe not the traditional boundary X receivers with a little more size. But I think that you can get playmakers all over the board. And this is another historically deep wide receiver group. Ryan, there are a couple of running backs. Well, more than a couple, but two guys that got talked a lot last year. You and I, I think I had you on or talked with this a little bit as far as Najee Harris, Tra- uh, Travis Etienne. Who's one? Who's two? Where will they go? Why is one ahead of the other? I like Najee Harris more than Travis Etienne. Just as far as like a, if I'm just ranking them one, two, I would love to have either one of them in college or in the pros. I think they both bring something different, unique to them that whoever drafts them will love what they get. But then you also have other guys in this running back class, a couple guys from North Carolina that pop off the page as well, off the screen. The running back class hasn't got a lot of talk lately, but Ryan, I see a lot of talent in this group. I think the top three, especially, and you mentioned a couple of them, Travis Etienne with the home run speed and the production that he has, Najee Harris more with the larger all-around skill set, has surprisingly good hands. I saw comps to Matt Forte, who I think that's a fantastic comp, to be honest. And then Javonta Williams from North Carolina, who's kind of the big riser, big physical bowling ball of a running back, explosive in short areas. Those three, for me, is is the tier. Like, those guys are the three top guys without question. Then after that is where you get your guys that are more role players. I don't think it's an exceptionally deep class. I think that the top is very good with those three. But then I think we hit the middling group of Kenny Gainwell from Memphis. You might mention Michael Carter. We talked about Trey Sermon a little bit. Elijah Mitchell from Louisiana. Um, Kylan Hill from Mississippi State. Like they're all situationally good football players. I just don't think that there's anybody in that group that is going to be a high volume ball carrier. I think that a guy like a Kenny Gainwell could, when you combine the running and receiving threat that he has could be a volume player in that regard, maybe similar to a Giovanni Bernard, who's been around in the league for a long time now. But I think that it's the top three of the class that are the traditional potential three down backs. And then some really interesting depth pieces. I think that it's, it's got some depth to it, but I don't think it's an exceptionally great class when we're talking about like, okay, here are some guys that could potentially be early down ball carriers at the top, which we have. Then where's the next guy? I think we're, there's a little absent of those guys, high volume ball carriers, but I do think that they have um, some, some interesting role players in that mid to late rounds. What makes Kyle Pitts so good? Um, he's 6'5 plus 245 pounds, ran a four, four, four has the longest wingspan of a tight end recorded in the last 25 years. I mean, the kid's a freak. To be honest, like he's just a, I mean, who are you putting on him? Are you putting a linebacker on him? Is, is that what you're planning on doing? Because that's not going to work. Are you going to put a safety on him? That's not going to work. Are you going to put him outside against J.C. Horn, who J.C. Horn's a damn good football player, by the way. Kyle Pitts is still going to win. No matter who you put on him, he has a mismatch in some area, which is just ridiculous. Like this kid could literally line up at tight end in line at H-back, in the slot, at X. Like, he is an alignment versatile player, and he can win against any stylistic of, of a football player, which just makes him 
so outrageous. And then, uh, honestly, people aren't going to want to hear this. Better blocker than people give him credit for. He's not terrible. He's not. He's thin-framed, so he's never going to be like, you know, George Kittle or anything. But the guy gets after it, you know? He's not. A, he's a good, very good football player. He's a solid enough blocker. And no matter where you align him up, he is a mismatch waiting to have. Sounds like Shannon Sharp. Man, I mean, obviously different pass there, right? Because yeah, Shannon yeah. came from Savannah State, smaller school. But, I mean, you're right. We don't want to put a corner on him. He's too big. You want to put a <laughs> linebacker on him? He's too fast. It, it's the same thing. Obviously, he's a little longer than Shannon is, which makes him like, oh, my God, up, up top, throwing the ball up to him in the red zone, let's say. Like, who can jump with Kyle Pitts with that wingspan? It's just absurd. So, I, I see comparisons thrown out a lot to Darren Waller from, from the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. I think stylistically it makes sense. Physically it makes sense. But I mean, to be honest, like we haven't seen a Kyle Pitts come out in, in several years now. He's the best tight end prospect to come out in, in quite a, in quite a bit. He's a, he's a absolute physical freak. Pat Fryermuth, Hunter Long, Brevin Jordan, all guys that I got a lot of attention, a lot of talk on an early young when Ohio state played Penn state. I'm not gonna lie to you, bro. I was nervous because I said if, if Pat Fryermuth goes off and gets loose, this could be a long game. We did find out very, very quickly Penn State was not that team we expected them to be this past yeah. season. And Ohio State with Ben Brown and Pete Werner really did a good job guarding him. I think he only had a few catches in that game. I think he had a touchdown, but his production was not what I expected. The large breakout game that I thought – he would have had at that time. I say breakout. He was already uh, a star in college football, but I thought he would have had a huge game there. Other tight ends, who's good? Also, first time I'm going to ask you this question, who may pop up on day two or latter parts or beginning of day three as well with this group? So, I mean, you mentioned the next wave after after Kyle Pitts. It's been a little under underappreciated from two to four just because they're in the class with Kyle Pitts and there's obviously a drop-off. But for me, like Pat Fryermuth, if healthy, like late first, early second, I wouldn't discount it. Cause like you said, I mean, he's got the baby Gronk nickname for a reason. The kid is a fantastic football player. He's got a chip on his shoulder because he, he went to Penn state and he wasn't even the top tight end recruit that they got that year, which is absurd. So he's got that, that, you know, that mentality where he's underappreciated to a, to a large degree, which, you know, is a dangerous thing for a guy like that, that has that chip on his shoulder. So Kyle, I mean, so Pat Fryermuth is a good football player. You mentioned Hunter Long. I compare him to Hunter Henry, you know, okay. which, you know, obviously okay. same first name. I mean, I think that he is just a really solid football player, plays above the rim, has that size. I think there's just very solid to him. And if Brevin Jordan's that West Coast yak guy, like off of play action, you want to get him the ball in space and he becomes basically an ipso facto slot receiver. Like that's who, what he is. And he's a very talented football player. It's just for him. He's a little scheme dependent, you know, not every team is going to value a Brevin Jordan as much as some, but I think he's still a very talented football player. After that top four, the class falls off a cliff, to be okay. very honest. Like there is a big drop. Guys want Tommy Tremble to be the next guy. And I, he's an Notre Dame guy. So, you know, I've watched him a bunch. Very hesitant on Tommy Tremble. I'm very hesitant on him because I know he's a darn good blocker, like, probably the best blocking tight end in this class that fits Notre Dame with how good they have how good they are at blocking both offensive and pass pro absolutely yeah and it's weird too because Tommy went to Notre Dame as kind of that flex tight end recruit that also went to his pro day and ran in the four five so you're like wow this kid's an athlete right but like his biggest impact was in line as an H-back as a fullback blocking like that was easily his best part of him 
And then in the past game, not much production. I mean, he had like 19 receptions this year, not much. I mean, obviously he was working with Michael Mayer, their true freshman tight end, who's fantastic, who's going to be a first-round pick in a couple of years. But not a lot of volume, and honestly, his ball skills scare me. A couple drops in a low amount of volume, and everything is just a double catch. Like, it just worries me because those windows are going to come even tighter soon. So I do have him as my fifth guy just because I think he brings a lot of value as, as a blocker. And I know there's some under – underutilized skills as an athlete, but the ball skills just scare me very much. Um, I'm very hesitant on him. And then you have guys like Tony Polgin from Virginia, Quentin Morris from, from Bowling Green. Like there's some guys that are worth mentioning, worth keeping an eye on Trey McKitty. That was at Florida state that transferred to Georgia. That was never used as a receiver really highlighted def- I mean, he had like seven catches this year for Georgia. So it's a very big question mark after that top four, there's a steep drop. There's some interesting prospects, but overall the depth of this class is not great, but fortunately you have a blue chipper at top and then you have a very solid two through four in the class. I only have time to ask you one question. It's going to be about as far as old linemen going to skip the interior old line. Not that there's lack of importance, just we don't have the time for it. I'm going to go with the off of the tackle spot, Panea Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Christian Derisaw. Could all three of these guys start day one? Yes, 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 they can. Uh, Penny sold, I mean, hands down, man. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. He's, he is the most, you want to talk about Justin Fields being overly scrutinized, which he actually has been. Penny Soul has been so overly scrutinized. I just don't understand it, man. The kid is 6'5", 330, dominated everybody that went in front of him as a 19-year-old man, went to, the, went to the pro day and tested very well for his size the kid is just so good. He is going to be a starting left or right tackle early on in his career from day one, whether it's the Miami Dolphins or Cincinnati Bengals or whoever decides to draft him. He is a starting level offensive tackle the minute he steps on onto a field. And I think that he could be a pro bowler and all pro pretty early in his career. Christian Darisaw, a little more raw, but a big rise from Virginia Tech. Athletically, he can stick right now. There is just something about his game right now where, like, it's just – you're in good position. You're framing well. Finish, finish, finish. Why do you look lackadaisical sometimes? Like there's just moments where it just looks like he has a brain fart, to be honest. But I think that he's going to get drafted by a team like the Los Angeles Chargers. And he's going to be pressed into an early, early responsibility. I think he's going to do a good job because I think that he's a really good athlete. He has the length. There's He's just a good football player. And then Rashad Slater, is he an offensive tackle? Is he a guard? I even I do a podcast with David Turner, Mav Sports Take, where he was a scout for 18 years that he thinks he's a center. Wow, so okay. there's there's expectations all across the board. I think the one team that I keep looking at, and I'm right outside of Philly, so I get I go on these Philly podcasts sometimes, right, and the radio spots, and they ask me about who the pick at 12 is. I keep saying it's a corner wide receiver, but if Rashawn Slater's there. Because, I mean, the Eagles have questions at left tackle. They have injuries at right tackle. They have injuries at right guard. Jason Kelsey could could retire any day, like any year, I should say. So where does Rashad Slater fit best? We'll see. He's a to-be-determined type of guy. I think a team might draft him to play offensive tackle, but I think I prefer him inside a guard either way. He's going to start very early in his career because he is going to be one of the best five on a football team and he has the versatility to him where he can play multiple positions on the offensive line. Defense, Ryan. Yep. Aziz Alagiri. I, th- I hope I said that name correctly. I'm, I'm trying to get better with names, bro, with this pronunciation and podcasting. Am I, am I good with that? Aziz Ojolari. Ojolari. Wow. Okay. Got it. 
Okay. <laughs> but the, the edge position, I keep, I go, I, my mind is not like yours. You say edge, I say defensive end. You guys evaluate yeah. different with wording and, and uh, verbiage than I do. But with that, with those two, um, Ojolari, Gregory Russo, who opted out, I'm, I'm still getting used to the opt-out stuff. I, I want you to play selfishly, yeah. kind of. Um, your, your coaches, your play, your teammates want you to play. But you also have Quiddy Pay, who I've actually watched recently because I did, I did a spot for another podcast, and they're asking about other Big Ten people. And I said, Quiddy Pay could be a guy that either stand up 3-4, DN, or um, two-point stands or three-point stands, either one, 3-4, three, 4-3. Four, four, three. I think he could fit either scheme. Where do you see those three guys going and who could be kind of a sleeper in this edge group? Yeah, I, I think so edge group. And it's great. It's a great point. Jay is, is actually like the first time I met David Turner, who I mentioned before, like I said the word edge and he's like, what the hell is an edge? Like, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> and it's like, you know, four, three defensive end or three, four outside linebacker. Either way, you're talking about an outside track rusher. Like that's what an edge is. Right. So for those guys specifically, Aziz is more of that three, four outside linebacker, but also I, I think he is pretty physical. So I think he can play in a four man front as well. So I think he's scheme versatile. And I think that he has some nice flexibility. He's that true outside track rusher who has a ton of speed and flexibility. Like that's who that is. And there's not a lot of those guys in this class, which makes him very coveted up top, potentially, even though he's apparently dealing with some medical recheck issues. Greg Rousseau is a complete opposite. This kid is, Almost 6'7". This kid is now bulked up to right around 270 pounds. Played at 245 pounds. Had 15 and a half sacks for the University of Miami. Is only a richer freshman. Opted out. He's a weird evaluation. Going to be very honest. He's a guy that was moved up and down the line of scrimmage. Took advantage of inside on guards a bunch with the length that he does have. Compares for me to a guy like Jason Pierre-Paul, which I don't think he's the most explosive edge of all time, but I think that he does have a ton of length and I think he's a good functional athlete that can move all around. And I think as he continues to grow into his body, the more lethal he's going to be. Cause I asked him like, who's a player that you look up to. And he said, the guy that I'm out on my game after, and the reason I want to gain all this weight and I want to play up near 280, 290, eventually because you know, his body can hold it is Calais Campbell, former Miami hurricane okay. as well. Okay. So that's kind of what he is. He's that big end that has a ton of length. I think that he's being undervalued a ton. I think he's going to go in the first round, despite people being somewhat kind of cooling on him at this point. But I think he's super talented. And Quiddy Pay, like you said, if you put Quiddy Pay's Northwestern game from this year on, you will come around, You'll come away and you'll say, that kid's going in the top 10. Because then he's on the Feldman's freak list. He ran the four fives at 270 pounds. Like, you know, freak show, right? But it's very up and down. It's not consistent. He's a guy that was a, another guy that was unfairly, you know, um, was unfairly given a lack of opportunity this year with the Big Ten and, you know, having a limited schedule. He was not given the opportunities that some people were afforded, you know, uh, uh, to no fault of his own. So I think he's just a little raw, but I think he's physical. I think he plays with good effort. I think the skill set is there. There's just some, you know, there's some, you have to rough out, uh, you have to uh, smooth out the edges on a guy like Quiddy Pay a bunch. I think he's more a 4 3 guy. I know some two people are going to treat him as a, he could play a 3 4 stand up. We saw a video of him going out, you know, just flipping his hips and pass coverage the other day, which looked nice. But I really think that he's a guy that you want to pin his ear backs and let him go. And I think he has more than enough length to play in, a, in an even man front. 
Pick any group, Ryan. I'll, I'll do this and then one other question to wrap this up. Pick any other group and three players from that linebacker, interior D line, corner or safety, have at it. What other group, put these two together. What group surprises you with the top three? And what to what group with their top three in that position kind of worries you? So I will say my biggest surprise throughout this season, going back from summer, I left summer and yeah, I mean, I, I put out an article in the summer that J.C. Horn was cornerback one. I love J.C. Horn. I liked Patrick um, Sertan, the junior, obviously, a lot, you know, coming out of the summer. But I didn't love the cornerback group. I didn't. I was hesitant on it. I was like, oh, man, I don't know about this group. I don't know. Now I'm the complete opposite. I think it is one of the strongest positions in this year's class. We're talking about guys like I just mentioned. J.C. Horn's my guy. He, for me, whether you're lining up against a small slot like Elijah Moore you're lining up against Kyle Pitts, you're playing against Seth Williams, whatever body type, he has experience playing inside and out. He is a super physical press man corner that can line up against any body type. And for me, that's where the NFL is going because the NFL is now a matchup dictated league. So you need guys that can match up to multi, uh, multiple, uh, multiple skill sets and body types. And I think that's what he is. That's why I value him slightly over Patrick Sertan. I think Pat Sertan is a fantastic football player. He's going to go in the top 12 picks, maybe top 10 picks. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm saying, I think very highly of him. He's just more that traditional outside corner, can play press man, could play cover three, can play pretty much anything. And he's got the highest floor because, I mean, just from a, from a, uh, a technical perspective, he's very solid. You know, you can tell that he's watched film and worked out with his father for his entire life, who was obviously a Pro Bowl cornerback for the Miami Dolphins and Kansas City Chiefs. So that makes total sense that he is so far ahead technically. And uh, I think that he's a really good football player. My, my third corner is actually a little different than some. Some people have Greg Newsom. Some people have Caleb Farley, who's obviously dealing with the injury concerns. I have Eric Stokes from Georgia. I really, really, really like Eric Stokes. I, I watched his tape in the summer – and I was so surprised. I didn't think I was going to like him because, you know, you kind of are just like combing through some things, no interceptions in two years as a starter. I'm like, what is this, man? I'm like, what? And then I watch his tape. And I'm like, oh, there's a reason he's not getting inter- – there's a reason that people aren't throwing at him because he's so good. He's just staying glued to everybody. He's staying in phase. And then this year, they mix up a little more man to zone. So he gets four interceptions. He has a really nice season for Georgia. He's six foot plus. He ran in the four twos. He's an exceptional athlete. You say ran four twos? Four two five at his pro day. Oh my gosh. Which some people obviously are questioning the validity of pro day times, which is understandable. But then also he had a 41 and a half inch vert. So that translates, you know, he's yeah. a really good athlete. So yeah, I like Eric Soaps a ton. I think the quarterback group, you know, you go, I mentioned Greg Newsom, Caleb Farley, if the Atu Melifon woo. Uh, Tyson Campbell. There are so many good corners this year. It's a really good class. And for two straight wide receiver groups the last two years, you're putting so much talent in the NFL. We need this. We need some corners to be able to match up. So great stuff. And then if I had to pick like, oh God, uh, class, I mean, it's been highly publicized. Interior defensive line is bad. Like it's just a bad class. Um, I like Christian Barmore. I think he's going to go in the first round. He's got a lot of talent. I compared him to Marcel Darius. Obviously that was a former Alabama player as well. I think he's a very good football player. I think he's got volume sack potential on the interior. But then after this class, man, like I like Levi Onwuzurike from Washington. He's an opt-out kid who didn't really put it together in 2019. He's a great athlete, but like, uh, 
is this tangible enough? Like you're just kind of like throwing darts at the wall a little bit. Cause like, you want to believe in his upside. You want to believe in his talents, but you haven't really seen it enough, you know? And then there's, I mean, there's a bunch of guys in that group, like Elaine McNeil from NC state and um, uh, uh, blanket on his name, the defensive tackle from, from uh, number five, Bobby Brown from Texas A&M. There are some guys to be excited about, but it's just not a great class. Not a great class. Barmore, in most years, I feel like we'll be fighting for like two or three on an interior defensive line list, but he's your ipso facto interior defensive lineman one. And then the depth after that is like some guys, but nobody that I'm really getting that excited about, to be honest. Ryan, at the end of last year, at the end of our like little pre-draft little episode we did, I asked you about Keaton Slovis. Are you still as high on Keaton Slovis as you were last year? I am. I am. I already started the 2022 evals. So the the quarterback class is not going to be as talented up top, but I'm telling you right now, if there were a, if, so I think it's a three horse race for me early on for the players that I've watched, I've I've watched about six or seven quarterbacks to this point, the three best quarterbacks that I've seen so far that I think could make that extension to being the top quarterback next year, potentially Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma. I think he's one very talented Keaton Slovis for me is just advanced and he was working through a shoulder injury. So 2020 was not quite as good as his freshman year was, but I expect a big rebound in a normal season because PAC 12 was obviously very affected by the COVID shutdown as well. And then Carson strong from Nevada for me is a guy that I've been talking about for a while. I really like Carson strong a bunch. He plays in that air raid system, which isn't incredibly translatable to the NFL, but the kid has a cannon for an arm, had a great season, but yes, to answer your question, um, just with name and dropping a couple other guys. I think Keaton Slovis is a very good opportunity to be the first quarterback off the board next year. I think that everything is there for him. I just want to see him put a healthy full season on display this year, because I think from a technical perspective, he's been working with Kurt Warner for a couple years now, to my knowledge, he just has, he's so sound fundamentally. He's always on platform. He's always balanced. I really do like Keaton Slovis a lot. Last question from what you've done with your evaluation so far for 2022, who yep. is the best player you've, you've evaluated so far? Highest grade that I've given out so far. I, I almost am, I'm almost adding up grades on, on K, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. So this might change the defensive end from Oregon. Highest grade is Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, the safety. This kid. That's a homer pick, bro. That, that is, is not a homer pick. I'm telling you right now. I've given out three first round grades so far in the okay. summer. Um, one was Kenyon Green, offensive lineman from Texas A&M, who's a fantastic football player, played offensive guard. He's moving out to tackle, apparently going to play left tackle. George Karloftless, mm-hmm. defensive mm-hmm. end from Purdue, which mm-hmm. you should be very familiar with. And then Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton, if, if his grade ended the way it is, he would have the highest safety grade that I've ever given out. Oh, wow. It is six foot four, 220, such a good athlete that Notre Dame asked him to play single high a ton. I mean, and the kid just doesn't miss tackles. Like, he doesn't miss tackles. He has incredible athleticism, incredible range for a player his size. I think he's a fantastic football player. So you can call me a homer if you want, but <laughs> next year when Kyle Hamilton playing a devalued position at safety doesn't usually go in the top 10. When he's going top five or top 10, just remember what Ryan said. I will right. absolutely do that. Ryan, this has been fun, man. Let the good people know, once again, they can connect with you via social media. They also track you during the draft as well. Yeah, so Rise and Draft is my handle on Twitter. Uh, make sure to follow. I'll be on a couple different draft uh, shows during during. We'll be going live. Have some great, great um, 
And I'll be able to talk ball with um, some great, uh, actually it's a Miami Dolphins podcast, the Fanatics, who have Richmond Webb, former Notre, uh, Notre Dame, former Miami Dolphin, great offensive lineman will be on there. So we'll be able to talk ball on there first day. And then day two and day three, I'll be on with David Turner and Mav Sports Take, uh, talking with guys like Blake Bettingfield, former scouts, former players, uh, players that are going to be drafted. We'll hopefully have some live kind of, you know, uh, uh, interviews right after they get drafted and everything. So a lot of fun things to, to see. If you want to track it, again, Rise and Draft on Twitter is where you can find all the NFL draft festivities. Guys, I've been podcasting for almost two years now. It'll be two years on May 12th. And Ryan is still the only NFL draft scout I have had on any podcast I have done. Ryan, I was this close to hitting up Alex Gilstrap, your buddy you do a podcast with, but I stuck with you. You do a phenomenal job. Lock on Buckeyes here as well. Um, and I'm sure people listening to this will enjoy the amount of information they've received in a short amount of time about this year's NFL draft prospects. Ryan, thank you once again for coming on the j podcast. Oh, absolutely, Jay. I appreciate you as always, man. You're one of the good ones. Anytime you want to talk ball, I'm always there for it. And I appreciate you reaching out like always. And this is the fun time of the year for me. So I, I truly do appreciate every time that you have me on. It's always a fun time. It's draft day. We've been waiting for it. We've been talking about it. The anticipation has helped build up the moment, which starts tonight. It's draft day. I'm excited. I'm sure you're excited as well. We'll all sit back and watch either on ABC, NFL Network, or ESPN as we consume the NFL draft in whichever way we want. There's also ways via different live shows like Ryan will be on or radio shows that'll be hosting their own version of draft coverage as well. Whichever way you want to get your draft fixed tonight, you have a way to do it, whichever way fits you and your lifestyle the best. Draft day is here. I'm excited. This is a day that I love because we get to see young men smile as they hear their name called by Roger Goodell as they will be NFL draft picks and their future is going to be a whole lot brighter than it was previously. Thank you guys so much for listening and downloading another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. You can also send all of your emails to jstevens317 at gmail.com remember to always subscribe rate and review it's a great way for people that are searching for a new podcast to listen to to come across this one then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth the things that we enjoy in life we are almost willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about so no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode number one be sure tell people know about the podcast. This is episode 193 of the Jason's Podcast. I will see you next time.